Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we're going to be talking about the 2001 Christopher Nolan film Memento. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm doing well, Sam. Thanks. Barrett, I'm so excited that you picked this. And I know partially why you picked doing this now is because if this were a normal summer, we probably both would have already seen the movie Tenet. Mm-hmm. Um, which is the Christopher Nolan movie we were supposed to get this summer. And it it's, uh, keeps getting pushed back for obvious reasons. Um, although there is word that other parts of the world might be seeing it uh, in late September or October. Mm. But, uh, but who knows when in the U.S. we will have access to see, uh, mm. to see Tenet. And um, Nolan is one of my favorite... Uh, well, I was going to say one of my favorite filmmakers. He's one of those people we talked about in our first episode, people you have season tickets for. Like, mm-hmm. I am not going to miss a Christopher Nolan movie in the theater. I'm going to go to whatever he puts out because um, sort of like we talked about with Spike Lee, like he doesn't make uninteresting things. Right. I don't think everything he makes is perfect. There are movies that I would he's made that I've been really excited about and kind of walked out and said, I'm not sure what I think about that sometimes. <laughs> but uh, but he's always worth it's always worth seeing his films. And there's always there's often a degree to which the big screen really matters uh, mm-hmm. for that. Um, so to that point, I I watched this film last night, um, rewatched it last night, and I was telling you I think last week one of my summer purchases because I miss going to the movies is I bought myself a like an LCD projector. Mm. So I watched this on a ten uh, foot wide screen in my living room last night, and it was kind of great. I felt a little bit like I was in a movie theater and. Uh, I think I'm going to be watching movies that way as much as I can now because it was even though it was still just just a streaming version of the movie, at least I could feel like I was you know wrapped around a big screen um, in that way. Barrett, what is your? Let's start just with the with the film Memento. What is your history with this film? When did you see this? Were you aware of it before as it was coming out? Yeah, I was. Uh, I saw it when it came out. I saw it in the theater, uh, and it's a very, very specific memory for me. Um, I had read some. I, I had read some uh, really strong reviews of the film, and I don't think I was aware of Nolan before that because I don't think a lot of people had seen following his first film. Um, I don't know if it even had a U.S. release. Anyway, so I happened to be in Connecticut visiting my my mother in in the spring, as the film was released in March. So I was probably in Connecticut in April, May of two thousand one. And and my mom said to me, um, let's go watch a movie. Let's go see a movie. And um, I said, okay. So what would you like to see? I said, well, what I want to see, I don't think you want to see. And she said, no, no, I want to see what you want to see. So we got to the theater. My mom at the time was working as a nurse. And it turns out the uh, young woman at the box office recognized my mom. And uh, because my mom worked with her mother and she said, oh, you guys just go ahead in. So we didn't have to pay for tickets. <laughs> So the movie ended and uh, I sat there stunned. I, I, I sat there feeling like that blew my mind in a way I never expected. And, and my mom turned to me and she said, um, well, what did you think? I said, I loved it. I said, that was fantastic. And she said, well, I'm glad you liked it. At least we had to pay for it. <laughs> wow. wow. So did you know, what did you know going into the film? That's an interesting question, Sam. That's what I'm trying to remember. Um, 
I, I think I, I'm certain. I'm certain that I knew the premise. Um, okay. Obviously, it's hard to read a review if you read and not know the premise. So I, I knew the I knew the premise, uh, and I knew in other words, I knew the premise of the character situation, and I also knew a little bit about Nolan's method. So okay. I so I, I went into it knowing it was going to be, and that's why I knew I could say to my mom, um, who doesn't like narratives that are in any way fractured. Um, I knew I knew that I could say to my mom, "You're not going to like this movie," um, but yeah. So that's that's what I, that's what I knew, um, and I kind of remember I probably knew who Guy Pierce was because I would have seen L.A. Confidential, and I certainly knew Joe Pantoliani, so uh -huh. I'm familiar with the cast a little bit. Yeah, I, for me, actually, this has a connection to another film that we watched in terms of how I found out about this. So I, this was 2001. I was in graduate school and I worked at the uh, historical census project. I was a research assistant there. There are tons of sort of quantitative historians working there. And there was a guy named um, Brad Jarvis, who was um, just another another research assistant there. And he was the person who introduced me to Errol Morris. And he was like, oh, mm. so so he had talked to me. So, and I and then I went and watched Errol Morris movies and, and loved them. And he had just mentioned, oh, I'm going to see a movie tonight by uh, called Memento. And, and he was somebody who was sort of tapped into what was happening in movies. Uh, so he knew a lot about it, but he didn't tell me anything about it. He was just like, this is the movie I'm most excited to see. Um, so I went home uh, and told my wife it's like we have to go see this movie called memento i don't know anything about it but somebody <laughs> that i trust uh is really excited about it um so we went in and i knew nothing about i mean it was it's the perfect way to watch this movie um and we walked in just as it was starting just as like the so we i don't know if the line was long or we got theater later than i would have wanted but we walked in just as the action of the movie was starting mm. so i didn't even have time to settle in and I had to wrap my head around what was happening. Uh, and to my mind, this is this is in my top, probably my top five theater experiences of my life. Because the thing that I look for when I go to a movie, the, the, the feeling that I'm chasing is I want to go see something I've never seen before. And I want to walk out of a movie saying, like, I, I, I didn't know that could happen. Mm -hmm. Um and I think what I'm chasing is something that I that I never had, which is I was born in 1977, so I was not alive in 1968, let alone old enough in 1968 to go see 2001: A Space Odyssey. Mm. It's what I imagine that was like, because because mm. when I first saw that movie, or not the first time I saw it, but when I saw it, first time I saw it as like a probably somebody I was in my late 30s or 40s, I revisited 2001, mm. and I remember watching it and thinking. I can't imagine what someone in 1968 must have thought. They must have thought Kubrick went to space. Like, it's just like, I don't know how he did that. Right. Mm. I mean, this is uh, nine years before star Wars and like mm -hmm. it, it was amazing. So like, so I'm always chasing that feeling of like, I want to feel what it must have felt like to go to 2001 in 1968. Mm -hmm. um, I had that feeling when I saw the movie Pulp Fiction. I remember just feeling mm -hmm. like I, I didn't know a movie could do that. Mm -hmm. um, I had that feeling when I saw the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and partially because I'm not, I probably had never seen a martial arts movie, and that's a very particular kind of martial arts movie, but I remember we saw that at the Heights Theater, mm -hmm. and I remember par partway through one of the action sequences, I think I almost stood up out of excitement. Like, I was like, I can't believe this is happening, because just visually, it was so cool. Um, and then the great, one of the, the first great movie experience in my life, I was probably three or four years old, and my mom took me to what would have been a 
probably 1979 or 80 re-release of the movie Star Wars. And I just mm. barely remember, but I remember it being important to me. And I remember a couple of things that happened on the screen. So I'm always chasing that. And Memento was absolutely that for me. Mm. Uh, I just was like, I cannot believe you can do this. I can't believe mm. you can tell a story this way. I can't believe it works so well. Um, so we'll, we'll get into all of this, but this is a very special movie for me um, uh, in, in light of that. Um, before yeah, we think, dig in, oh, go ahead. I, I say, Sam, I think, I think one of the really cool things about what you were just saying was um, I think that part of what you're chasing is when somebody does in that medium, what can only really be done in that medium. In other words, it's that somebody is kind of expanding the vocabulary of, of the medium. So um, that's what impresses me about it um, is that it's, it's not really something that you can do uh, in a literary mode. Um, it, 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 so it's that, that's, what's exciting when, when a filmmaker really finds a way to use the, uh, the formal elements of the genre or of the medium in, in a way that wouldn't be possible in, in any other medium. You're absolutely right. It has to be a movie. Yeah. It has to be a movie to be this. Absolutely. So this was my introduction to Christopher Nolan. I've, I've seen following, but that was, uh, was much later. Uh, what is your, your, before we dive into the specifics of Memento, what's your, sort of overarching uh, history with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, so after I saw Memento, I probably uh, probably went forward for a couple of years. I saw um, um, the next film, the, the shoot. <laughs> I'm, having, I'm having a senior moment about the title of the next, Insomnia. Uh, okay. I saw Insomnia. Uh, and then uh, I think he did, uh, after Insomnia, he did The Prestige. Uh, and then he went into the Batman films, which, mm -hmm. To be frank, I watched only because they were Christopher Nolan. I, I really am not into those sorts of films, but Nolan made them interesting to me in a way that I didn't think that they that they, they could be. Um, and then I think I backed up at that point and went back to following, because following became available on, on DVD. Uh, and following is a really, really nice uh, companion piece to Memento. You can see him trying out the form of memento in following, uh, not quite in a, not, not in quite, a, quite a rigorous way, but doing it. Um, most recently, and talking about the big screen, I actually saw Dunkirk down at the um, Minnesota Zoo uh, on oh, the wow. screen. So, uh, and that's a very memorable experience because my son and I rode our bikes down on a very hot summer's day uh, and um, got there just in time for the film, and I was absolutely soaked in sweat. And I sat there in that air-conditioned uh, theater, both um, both um, dehydrated and freezing. But uh, I gotta say, really that's probably the right way to see Dunkirk, though, because oh, I, I feel like if you're wet and cold, that wet and cold, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, I saw Dunkirk the. Earlier that year, I I visited the city of Dover when we were in Europe or we were in uh, England, and um, learned about Operation Dynamo and that whole rescue mission from from that you know thinking about it from from that the side of the people going to Dunkirk. So you know, so I feel like I had learned about that story, and so then I was extra excited to see uh, to see that movie. Um, other movies you didn't mention of his uh, Inception was probably yeah. one of the. I was so excited because it wasn't a, it was a Christopher Nolan movie that wasn't a Batman movie. Yeah. And the, the tra that's one of the great like trailers where you, where it's sort of, he's, he's kind of telegraphing. I might do some stuff that you've never seen before. Just visually like there's when the world sort of turns yes. in on itself, you're like, okay, this is new. I'm excited for that. Um, and then probably the biggest disappointment in this, this 
ties back to 2001 a space odyssey is interstellar which i actually liked Inter- there's parts of interstellar that i liked but mm-hmm. um ultimately it's 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 my it's by far my least favorite of his movies it's it's the most um he sometimes has this tendency to do this like almost like an m night Shyamalan twist you know and yeah. interstellar feels the most like that and it just sure. i i just didn't love it i loved the scope of it if it had been seven hours of interstellar i would have been happy with that like i loved the sort of space part of it i think i'm a sucker for those types of things um long space movies but but the the twist in that i didn't love as much so i was really excited when that i really liked dunkirk because i'm like okay we're we're back we're 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 good he's not gonna go down this path where i'm gonna start to not like the stuff he does well i liked i liked interstellar better than the critics and the audiences but it does remain you know, I mentioned last week that Rotten Tomatoes has done a um, a compendium of all of his ratings, and Interstellar is the film that has the the, the uh, lowest Rotten Rotten Tomatoes rating, is something like seventy two percent. But I actually enjoyed it more than Inception, for what that's worth. Oh really? Oh wow! Yeah. You're I think you're in the the vast minority with that. Yeah, that's good. I I, I, I like <laughs> to be in a minority once in a while, just to make sure I'm not going wrong with the crowd. All right. So, what were things that jumped out? to you on rewatch of this movie? Um, I guess I, I, I felt as though I had a different attitude towards the ending. Um, you know, when you, when you've seen the movie, uh, I think this is my third, maybe my fourth time, but it's been, it's been several years since I watched it again. So I felt in some ways I, um, I looked at the, the Lenny, um, Teddy, uh, Leonard, Teddy, Teddy connection differently than I did before. So I think the unreal. I, so what jumped out at me this time, Sam, was the un, the unreliability of Leonard as the narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he always has been an unreliable narrator, but I think it became, for some reason, much much clearer to me this time around. The other thing that jumped out at me is that I decided about three quarters of the way through is I wasn't quite clear on the chronology of the phone call scenes, which are in black and white. And there's a couple of other moments that are in black and white. And I realized I wasn't paying close enough attention to figure out what he was doing with those. I felt like the phone call is kind of out of the time stream of the film. And it's not really clear where it fits in with the rest of the film. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting thinking about, about Teddy in particular, I was doing a little bit of reading about this and they talked about the specifics of casting uh, Joe Pantoliano as Teddy Mm-hmm. Um, and that that he wasn't the first person they were looking for, and they were actually a little worried about him. And it, but it turned out to be perfect because you he's somebody you instinctively don't trust because right. of other roles that he's played. Plus, they talked about the power of the fact that every time you see the Teddy photograph, he flips it over and it says, yeah. "Don't trust yeah. his lies." Don't. And it's not till the very end that you realize, like, oh, that's the lie that Leonard told that that Leonard told him. So the whole story you just saw is hinged on a lie which is don't trust his lies that's right yes <laughs> and it was like oh man you know and 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 i remember getting to that point. i think the first time i saw the movie like you're just trying to keep up with it yeah so i think i think i don't appreciate the power of some of that stuff what's interesting is um in his review at the time roger ebert i think gave it three out of four stars mm-hmm. but said it doesn't it's not improved by a rewatch. He said he mm-hmm. thought it would be any watch. And I don't, I don't understand that take because no. I actually think like it, to me, it gets much richer um, as I think about like, Oh, 
wow, you know, that, that there is, there are these sort of crucial things that happen that set everything else in motion. And Leonard can't remember those things. And the brilliance of the film is that the, by the way it is told and edited as a viewer, you are given the condition that Leonard has because you know what's happening now, but you can't, even though you've even seen where this is headed, you forget where this is headed, even, even though you've seen that. So to me, the most powerful thing, and I remember this the first time I saw it is the way whenever he'll tell a, a chunk of the story, um, and then when you get to the end of that sequence, you see a little bit that you've seen before. And, and every time it slaps me in the face, like, oh, yeah, I forgot. This is where this is going. Like, I, because you're so conditioned to watching things forward that, you know, you forget that he's going to all of a sudden show up. He's good that this, what you're watching is going to end with him sitting on the toilet saying, I don't feel drunk holding a bottle. Even though you've seen where that's headed, you know yeah. where it's headed. Like, I, I don't know. It's it's just amazing trick that he's that he plays and I and and it's not I mean and when I read the reviews, the ones that are a little more negative sort of talk about this as like it's a it's like a clever trick, but it doesn't mean much. And I like I feel like that's on like it. Some of that's pretty unfair to this because I actually think it's pretty powerful. Well, you know that's that that is to connect it to another film we watched at the very beginning that there is a kind of a Groundhog Day effect. Uh, in in that in that respect, because you keep seeing, as you said, because you begin and you end with those with those moments. Yeah, I want to address what you just said about about the critics saying that about the f- couple different things about the film, uh, Sam. One is somebody one of the one of the re- reviewers said, well, if you just played this story forward, it, it's not a very interesting story. And I feel like well, that that's not the point. The the point of narrative is how you tell a story. Now, but then the other, I think, unfair criticism of the film is those who say, yeah, he's telling the story this way, but there's really not much content to it. It's all style. And I would connect that with another film that you mentioned and another filmmaker, which is Kubrick. For me, Nolan has always been a Kubrick-like filmmaker um, because he's so technically innovative and so so precise and so, uh, in, in a sense, kind of cerebral. But 2001 has had the same criticism level that, uh, right? Yeah, it's, it's impressive technically, but there's nothing there to think about. Well, I just think that's dead wrong about both these films. I think that, that you cannot separate the form of Memento from the content of Memento, as you've already suggested. So it is a film that I think delves into some very deep issues about the relationship between memory uh, and identity uh, and memory and reality. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't quite understand the critics who, who have said that. I think they're, they're all wrong. So what do you think this, this movie, t- I mean, I think, I mean, obviously memory is a big th- memory and choice and are, are sort of big things in this. What do you think this movie tells us about memory? Well, I think it says that it, it's, it's difficult. The thing that tells us two things, right? One, one is it is difficult to, um, it's difficult to believe in the meaning of your actions if you can't remember them. Um, you know, so Leonard says, I mean, he, he takes that directly on, right? He says, I, I believe my actions have memory, have meaning, even if I can't remember them. But the film suggests at the end that that's not, in fact, the case. Uh, that what Carrie Ann Moss says to him, uh, what Natalie says to him about, you know, even if you get the revenge, you're not going to remember it and it's not going to matter. And he asserts that it still has, still has meaning. So in a sense, you kind of have a postmodern versus modern debate going going on so i think it's one thing it says i think it also does raise the question about you know do you have an identity 
who are you if you cannot remember your actions? I mean, he does have certain memory. He has he has a long-term memory from before the accident. Um, but in terms of a memory of himself on a daily basis, he doesn't have he doesn't have an identity. So he's sort of a, a, a half man in that in that sense. Well, it's interesting thing about identity. So we also we see in the flashbacks, which are also we we learn our our um uh more unreliable than we think the 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 sammy jenkins flashback yeah. right like you see uh leonard that version of leonard and he looks so different than the version leonard see also the photograph that he gets that slides under the door that teddy gives him about uh you know when he killed john g um it's like that doesn't look like him like i know that it is him but but like like that seems like a different human being like mm. the look on his face you never see leonard look like that and mm -hmm. so, so it is interesting. Like, like I feel like you keep getting, you get these very. So I assume, I mean, <laughs> this is a terrible idea, but I assume this could be a TV show that runs forever, where every episode is a is a new Leonard chasing <laughs> after a new John G. I mean, that, that's what Teddy basically tells him is like, this is what you've been doing. You don't even know how many John Gs you've killed at this. Point. Right, right. You know, right. um, and 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 like, and, and each time he could be a, a vastly different person. It could be a vastly different genre of movie you know or you know like each time it could be this very different thing um incidentally another groundhog day connection we have uh ned ryerson yes, uh, yes. uh yeah. it's yeah, just it's, yeah. it's and the, i just have to say the other face um that jumped out at me and i i had no idea he was in this movie and he actually plays a very similar role in a different christopher nolan movie is did you notice who the doctor was who was giving the test the um with the different objects, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It didn't ring a bell for me. <laughs> it's the it's the comedic actor Thomas Lennon, Tom Lennon, who was in the State. He was um, uh, Reno Nine One One, a bunch of shows like that, and he also plays a, a doctor in The Dark Knight, which is it's just strange to have like this very, mm. to my mind, very recognizable, great com like improv comedic actor playing <laughs> this completely straight part. It reminds me of in A Few Good Men when Christopher Guest plays the. The mm. doctor, he's in this very small scene, and it's like, why is Christopher Guest in this movie? I had the same thought with Tom Lennon, like, why are you in this movie? Um, but to get back to to memory, one of the the scenes that haunts me the most in this movie, and it did from the first time I saw it, is when he goes and burns the uh, the objects that he's saved from his wife. Mm -hmm. And it's not that he's burning them, but it's what he says, you know, because he can't remember. He says, you know, I've probably burned thousands of year things i i've probably done like how many times have i done this then he says i can't remember to forget you yeah because he's actually it's interesting because he's haunted by the fact that he can't remember but he's also haunted by the fact that he can remember yeah. and i think about this a lot because i have different people uh, i'll use my my brother is probably the best example of this because he and i were pretty close in age we grew up together um in lots and lots of ways we were basically best friends growing up and he's somebody who either by choice or just by how he's wired, like doesn't remember stuff as well. And I'm one of these people who can't forget things about childhood. Mm. And it's like each of those things haunts you in a different way. I'm haunted by the fact that I can't forget the regrettable things I've done. And, and mm. sometimes it's even minor little things. Like I said something dumb here and I know that that hurt this person mm. and I, I'm incapable of forgetting it. Mm -hmm. um, but then I know other people are haunted by the fact that they can't remember things. <laughs> and it's like, so to me, that scene is just really powerful because it, it sort of points to both. You know, I can't remember to forget you. And right. I just, that, that, 
I don't know that 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 line has probably sent me down so many paths thinking about like what is the 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 purpose and power of memory and to what degree can we manipulate memory because this movie's also about that too. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's what I was gonna say the the plasticity of memory. So you know when Teddy is telling him that his wife was a diabetic, right? So you have the scene where uh, in in his memory he's pinching her thigh, and in Teddy's story he's actually giving her an injection. Um, and so then you kind of have to choose, you know, which of these is the actual memory. But it's interesting you mentioned that your your brother because we have at least one incident in my family where my brother, my sister, my father, and I all participated. And if you ask us what happened, we will give you different stories. Huh? Even though, even though we were all there at the same time. So so he, so that notion like your own personal Rashomon. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's actually a good connection. I hadn't thought about rationale in that respect. But yeah, so the notion that it's not just that memory can degrade over time, within time, of course, is another issue in this film, but that the memory, when it's formed, can be formed incorrectly or can then be reshaped. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, to me, there's just, there's, there's so much uh, with that. Can you think of other movies that play with time in this kind of way? I mean, obviously, I talked about um, Pulp Fiction being this powerful thing to me, and it's it's not doing the same thing, but it's definitely like a fragmented, told out of order kind of story. But is there a, a broader history of this in film? Well, I, I I can't think of a broader history of this kind of reordering of a narrative, but I certainly can think of a broader history of um, amnesia. Okay. Uh, so, you know, uh, and I think of a film that I've mentioned to you in the past is a film, uh, film noir. And actually, this isn't a no, this is a noir, uh, neo noir, I think. That's where we're, we're going to get to that because that's yeah. my next question. So, you know, so there, there's, a, there's a film I mentioned to you a couple of times and it's kind of neglected. People don't remember it much, but it's, it's called Black Angel from 1946. And it's a, it's a private investigator is hired to investigate a murder, um, which it turns out he's committed. Uh, while drunk, um, oh, the, uh, so he ends up investigating himself, which is actually kind of an Oedipal theme, uh, right? Oedipus ends up discovering that he's the criminal he's looking for, um, and then in Alan Parker's Angel Heart, 1987, with uh, Mickey Rourke, um, it, it, he has sold his soul to the devil and forgotten it, and for some reason he has to remember it in order for the deal to go through. So uh, Robert De Niro, as the devil, hires him to find out. Uh, to basically to find himself. Mm. Uh, and of course, another great neo-noir is um, uh, Lynch's Mulholland Drive, and that features an amnesia character. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of noirs um, right after the war uh, that feature amnesiacs, and they're often war veterans. So there's a definite connection between amnesia and trauma, which is what you're getting in, in Memento. Absolutely. So, I mean, I want to maybe uh, talk a little bit about noir because we're back to that. We we did um, out of the past uh, many weeks ago um, and talked about noir there. This uh, how is this film in conversation with um, other noir films? How does it sort of connect or fit in with that? Yeah, well, I certainly think in terms of uh, a lot of noirs uh, do involve detectives, uh, and so I think the notion and and a lot of noirs are. Uh, located in the in crime, the world of crime, uh, and they're often uh, complex narratives. Um, not, not necessarily complex temporally, but they are complex in terms of it's sometimes hard to figure out exactly who's related to or who's done what. Mm -hmm. And I think it also has a um, uh, the Natalie role 
is both the, the sympathetic uh, character, but also the femme fatale at the same time. And so noirs are, are uh, almost always some kind of femme fatale that she, that she plays. Right. And, and I think everybody in this movie is, is questionable in terms of like, I mean, what, what's funny is, is the, the one person you don't see do something that, uh, is necessarily bad is uh jimmy gans the guy because he dies right away and we're told some stuff about him but like he just seems like a guy if you just look at what you what you see and you realize i can't trust anything else but you see you see teddy who although he's you know telling the truth at the end teddy as a cop is definitely a dirty cop for what he's doing i mean he's basically using this guy as his killing killing machine because he's incapable of remorse because he can't remember <laughs> right and and he's definitely skimming though i presume the plan is to skim this some of this money that uh, mm -hmm. that uh, that jimmy's bringing there's the it's interesting because like i like natalie and she's awful <laughs> i mean yeah. like like the scene where she um goes out to the car and just waits yes. and comes back in and she steals all the pens like that's such a brilliant yes. i mean she is brilliant for doing that but uh, but as a screenwriting thing that's such a brilliant scene because you see him looking for pens and then then the scene plays out and then you go back to the one before and you realize oh that's what happened and oh i it's he must he must have been so excited when he wrote that stuff like, <laughs> this is such a good idea that's a brilliant scene that is a fantastic scene um uh anything else you want to talk about with memento i feel like we could talk forever about this but this is i think if you're listening to this and you haven't recently gone back and rewatched memento it holds up so well it's it's such a great watch if you've never seen it it's such a great watch if you have seen it um especially if you've had some distance from it i think revisiting it uh because you're even playing with your memory of having seen it before <laughs> right it's like it keeps working in in terms yeah. of all of those ways. But anything else you want to talk about with this? Yeah, I, 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 I want I want to talk about um, a very very brief image towards the very end of the film um, that is so goes by so quickly. I had to every time I watch it, I I, I have to pause in order to look at it, and uh, and it's the scene where. Um, right before right before the end, he it's it's obviously one of Leonard's memories. And it's him lying in bed with his wife, and he's got all the tattoos, but then there's one across his left side that is otherwise bare in the rest of the film. And it says, I did it. And every time I watch the film, I I don't know what what to make of that because uh, you know, we, we see the this the photo that Teddy has. Uh, he says, you know, this is the picture of after you killed John G. And there's no there's no tattoo in that in that spot. So I I don't know what exactly to make of that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I guess I read that as I mean, I read that as not a memory, but as yeah. a you know, as, as, because because he does reference that point for like that sort of that's where he's going to put it right. He's saving yeah. that spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, there, there's actually a lot of scenes, little little snippets that go really quick. Like the, I, I actually I, I was surprised how quickly this the, this other scene uh, flips by, which is there's a, a scene of Sammy sitting in the mental institution and a doctor walks by, and as the doctor passes by, when you start to see Sammy again, it's Leonard instead. Yes, yes. which is interesting because that circles back to 
the uh, the the Jonathan Nolan story that this is based, you know, loosely on, or like like the the concept is based on about this guy uh, in a similar situation who's in a mental institution and then sort of breaks out and and tries to find the person who kills his wife. And it, so so to me, that's a nice little tip to saying we we were talking about this uh, over email before. Like it's possible to read that Jonathan Nolan story as almost almost like a uh, a prequel or the movie being a sequel to this because it's conceivable that maybe Leonard broke out of a, a mental yeah, institution yeah, yeah. and maybe it actually played out pretty similar to that story. But then what Christopher Nolan's doing is like, well, what is kind of like to go back to Groundhog Day, we talked about what does February 3rd look like? Well, if you yeah. think about the Jonathan Nolan story, what does the next day look like for the guy who can't remember? And it turns out, this is actually that the hell that he lives in is like he is is this sort of Groundhog Day kind yeah. of thing, yeah. So, so I actually found I found the Jonathan Nolan story really interesting to think about in terms of that and, one and little yeah. clip. Yeah, and and the other thing I I would also say, uh, Sam, is that he he raises the question about um, how can I heal if I can't feel time, and so I think you know not not only is the movie in that sense about memory, identity, reality, but it's also about I mean, obviously, that's one of, you know, one of the great cliches, time heals all wounds. Well, it may not, but time is, you know, met both literally and metaphorically, right? Time is a factor in healing. And, and basically what he has is a constantly open wound in his mind. Hmm. Um, and and he, he'll never be able to close it because, you know, he thinks, I mean, he thinks he's got this system. You know the, the you know the 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 that Sammy's downfall was he didn't have a system. And I've got a system, but the system doesn't it doesn't work. Uh, you, you, so you can't substitute um, those kinds of mechanics for for the organic operation of the mind. And once the mind is wounded in that way, it it can't it can't be fixed. Right, because the only thing he actually has is not a system, but he has this lust for revenge. <laughs> That's the thing that he has. I mean, it's a when, when Teddy says, you know, why are there why are there sheets missing from the police file? Yeah. And he said, when I gave it to you, it was full, or it was whole. And he said, you took those out to create a puzzle you couldn't solve, because, right. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, oh, that, that yeah, I, it's 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 amazing. Right. Because yeah, because because that, that you're right. That the only thing that's keeping him going is seeking revenge. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, he doesn't want the closure. It's not, it's not only can he not achieve the closure, but he doesn't really want the closure because then he has no purpose. Right. Right. And yeah. And, and he's in, yeah, and he's incapable because he's incapable of experiencing closure because you can't close something you can't close. And, and the, the other thing I want to say, and I alluded to this at the beginning is especially in a, uh, the world in which we live right now, where people seem to think that um, there is no external reality. I mean, you look at competing narratives in our, in our mm -hmm. uh, cultural landscape and I, I see this film as a really interesting dialogue about that. You know, what is reality? Oh, sure. Is it what I think it is? Or is it what is actually out there? And one of the deep, deep ironies of the film is that Leonard keeps trying to stand up for objective reality, but in fact, he's chosen a subjective reality. So he thinks he's a modernist, but he's really a radical postmodern postmodernist. Right, right. And 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 we don't we don't get to see that until or we get to see that slowly develop. Right, right. And, and so to get back to a point we made earlier, all this is made possible to me, all the stuff we've been talking about for the last 15 minutes, which is pretty meaty stuff, is possible only because of the way the film is, is, is constructed. 
So to right. talk about the film being kind of a clever trick without anything at its heart is a complete is a complete misreading. Absolutely. Oh, this was this was so much fun. Um, uh, what should we watch next? Okay, next we're going to do something really fun. Um, I can't resist. I've talked about this for a while. I want to go back to uh, 1938 and watch Bringing Up Baby. Oh, fantastic! I have yeah. never seen this. This is another. This is another classic movie that I have not seen. So uh, anything. Um, I, I I love the spirit of. I actually know nothing about this movie. Um, but is there anything that that you want to say without uh, giving anything away about Bring Up um, Baby? One of the things I, I I love about this movie is that it actually makes references to both other movies, and even if you haven't seen them, you recognize the references, and even to um, Cary Grant's persona in other films. Okay. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Barrett, uh, this has been this has been great. I love that we're starting to reach the point where. The things we're watching this week keep circling back. The, the number of times we're referencing things we watched earlier is that's that's what I hope would happen. Is I is is I would start seeing some of this stuff too, and it's it's really been fantastic. And then bringing up baby will inevitably lead to a little bit of revisiting of Sullivan's Travels, and we talked a little bit about screwball comedy. So fantastic. Well, Barrett, thank you so much. Uh, uh, if you're listening to my voice, you should be subscribing to the channel 3900 podcast network. If you want to get in touch with the show, if you want to comment on the things we're talking about, uh, you can email us at channel 3900 at gmail.com. That's all the time we have for this week. We, I hope you've enjoyed our discussion of memento and I hope you join us next week when we talk about bringing up baby in the video store. <laughs>